Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Comes from Luke's Gospel. I'll be reading from chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Friends, hear the word of God. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and did not catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Friends, the word of God. A few years back, my nephew, Cullen, who was a teenager at the time, called me on the phone, asked if he could come visit. I said, sure. I knew it wasn't because he loved me. It's because Uncle Bill had a boat and Cullen liked to fish. So he drove down from Tampa, and on Saturday morning, we launched from Pineland and fished out in the Pine Island Sound. And we caught a variety of small fish. But about mid-morning, Cullen was restless. He said, Uncle Bill, can we please go fish for tarpon? I said, sure. After all, Boca Grande was only about six or seven mile run across the water. So I started up the Yamaha 150 and we headed north. And when we rounded the corner, the flotilla of boats was before us. Now, if you've never been there during the summertime, you don't know what it's like to see a hundred fishing boats in a space the size of one football field. But that's what it's like. You can almost step from boat to boat. You see where Charlotte Harbor empties into the Gulf, it gets really narrow at Boca Grande Pass. And the water is 70 to 80 feet deep there. And in the summertime, the tarpon gather in that spot by the thousands. Presidents have come from around the country to stay at Gasparilla and fish tarpon at Boca Grande. How many of you here have fished for tarpon at Boca Grande? Anybody? 
four or five hands in the room, you know what I'm talking about. A hundred boats, size of a football field. And the strategy you learn very quickly, you get in line on the backside and everyone drifts through and when you get through the deep hole, which is about the size of a football field, you start your engine up, you drive around, you get in line again. We were drifting through the first time. About five minutes in, when I hook up with a giant fish, biggest fish of my life. I promise you it was six or seven feet long, 150 to 200 pounds. <laughs> and so we started following the fish. And to our delight, in the next 20 minutes, he jumps completely out of the water three times. And I get this giant trophy fish within about 15 feet of the boat. And there's a dark flash in the water. And it froths and it boils. And about a 12-foot hammerhead steals my tarpon. <laughs> takes him under. Huge white tarpon scales drift to the surface. It was eerie. It made me grab hold to make sure I didn't fall in. I look at Cullen. I say, did this just really happen? And who's going to believe this fish story? I hope all of you. Because my stories are all true. In our text today, the Apostle Peter has an amazing fish story to tell his friends. He'd been a lifelong professional fisherman. He knew how to fish. But this gentleman named Jesus has this huge crowd pressing in upon him. And he backs up to the point where he's standing on the edge and can't back up any further because of the lake. He sees the boats. He says to the owner, do you mind if I teach out of one of your boats? I'm sure Simon scratched his head and thought, that's the first for me. But what will it hurt? Go ahead. And I want us to take note of Jesus' teaching style. He sits down. No arm waving, no shouting, no pounding on a fishy pulpit. It's conversational. And most believe it was Q&A. When he finishes, he says, Okay, Peter, now let's go fishing. Peter hesitates. Because Peter knows fishing. And I'm sure he thinks to himself, Jesus, you know preaching, but I know fishing. It'll be a waste of time to go fishing now. The sun is high. It's the middle of the day. And Peter finds himself at an intersection with a crisis of faith. Will he do that which makes sense or that which this man named Jesus is requesting? I propose to you that throughout the Bible, I could give you dozens of stories where God asked one of his people to do something that just didn't make sense. Allow me to share a couple. God says, Joshua, it's time to take the Holy Land back. And when you cross the Jordan River, you're going to come to this great walled city of Jericho. In those days, there were two common ways to defeat a great walled city. The first is to surround it and starve them out. You cut off their water supply and their food, you've got to wait them out. But that takes a long time. The second way to defeat a great walled city is to build an earthen ramp against one of the walls to the point where you can breach the top and enter. 
Again, takes a long time. God says, Joshua, I've got a different plan. We're going to do this in a week. But here's what I need you to do. Tell the people, we're going to march in a parade manner around the city blowing horns. Put the Ark of the Covenant up front. March around that great walled city once per day for six days. On the seventh day, march around six times. Blow the horns. Joshua probably thought, that doesn't make sense. How's that going to help us defeat the people in the great walled city? And yet he's obedient, and God causes a miracle. Or what about the story where Jesus and Peter are at the temple, and the officials approach them and say, you each owe two drachma, two coins, for your temple tax. Aren't you going to pay? Jesus and Peter look at each other. They have empty pockets. And Jesus says, Peter, I want you to go down to the lake, cast in your line, and the first fish you catch, there'll be a coin in his mouth, bring it and pay our taxes. Imagine you're Peter. What? That doesn't make sense. I'm going to catch a fish and get the coin to pay the taxes? But he doesn't argue with Jesus. He goes, does as he says, catches a fish in his mouth is a four drachma coin. The exact amount they need, he takes it and pays the taxes. Peter has seen Jesus do miracles. What about Gideon? God says, Gideon, you're going to be my man. We're going to defeat the Midianites. How many soldiers do you have, Gideon? Gideon reports to the Lord, 32,000. God says, you got too many. The Midianites had a few more than 32,000. So it was going to be pretty close to a fair fight until God says, Gideon, you got too many. Send some folks home. How many? Send 31,700 home. Really? Imagine you're Gideon. It doesn't make sense. We're going to take on 35,000 with 300. And then God says, but that's not all. The swords, the spears, the knives, the shields, leave them in camp. You and your 300 aren't going to need them. Instead, here's what you're going to need. Have each man take a jar and a horn. What? We're going to take them on with jars and horns? Outnumbered? 35,000 to 300? Didn't make sense. Gideon was obedient. God was with them and they won. You see, the story's full, I'm sorry, the Bible's full of stories where God said, do that which doesn't make sense because God wanted everybody to know it wasn't by their strength or might or skill, it was by God. That's how God works. And such is the case in point in today's text. See, Galilee was filled with cold, clear water. It was deep. It was the ice and snow melt and runoff from Mount Hermon. Just a little north and east was a 9,200 mountain. Got snow every winter. And it drained in the Sea of Galilee. And because the water was cold and clear, you couldn't catch fish in the daytime because the fish could see the nets and swim away. So the fishermen fished exclusively at night. But Jesus wants to go fishing in the middle of the day. It didn't make sense. And at his crisis of belief, 
Peter decides to do that which the Lord requests instead of that which made sense. And it's why we're telling the story today. The first lesson in obediently following God is sometimes he asks us to do that which doesn't make sense. The second lesson I want us to take away from this is when we're obedient to God, it draws us closer to him. When they catch the fish and get to the shore, the first thing Peter does is come and fall at Jesus' feet. He says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Well, he wasn't more sinful then than he was the day before, but now he's been in the presence of the Lord. And here's what Peter knows. This miraculous catch was not the result of his fishing ability. Not his technique, not his style, not his skill. It was Jesus. Jesus was in his boat and that made the difference. Jesus always makes a difference when he's in our boat. It drew Peter closer to the Lord. In fact, he would go on not only to follow Jesus, but to be part of the inner circle. Peter, James, and John. It's Peter who goes and catches the fish to get the coin to pay the taxes. It's Peter who says, Lord, bid me to walk to you on the water and I will do so. And he does. He not only believed Jesus could do these things, he experienced them. He drew closer to the Lord and strengthened his own faith and his belief and trust in what God could do. 1984, I graduated from seminary in Dubuque, Iowa. Took a church in California as the youth director. It happened to be in the beautiful San Ynez Valley in the town of Solvang. Now, Solvang was a very unique place. Danish windmills, Danish storefronts, workers wearing Danish costumes, tulips everywhere. It was a unique fairyland in the middle of a beautiful, pristine valley surrounded by mountains. Horse ranches and vineyards. And celebrities were everywhere. I used to run into Michael Jackson, Bo Derek, Cheryl Ladd, Oprah Winfrey, Jimmy Connors, Rod Laver, Rona Barrett at the grocery store. I knew how privileged we were to be in such a gorgeous place. And every day I thank God. After six years, my boss, the senior pastor, left the ministry, and the rule said the associate had to relocate so the new boss could bring in his own team. And God then sent us to Covington, Louisiana, suburb of New Orleans, solo pastor, little church in Cajun country. Talk about culture shock. But talk about some great food. And God blessed our six years there in Covington. The congregation tripled. Missions tripled. Giving tripled. And it wasn't because of me. It was because of God. And we were so blessed by our time there that it opened doors for me to go to a large downtown church. But I had to move back to California. Somewhere I said, I'll never go again. Not only was it in California the second time, it was in Bakersfield. Now, if you live east of the Rockies, you don't know Bakersfield from Santa Barbara. But if you live in California, you know Bakersfield to be the armpit of the state. <laughs> Bakersfield has all the polluted air, the high temperature during the day, all the minorities 
who worked the agricultural crops. When my friends on the coast in California heard I was going to Bakersfield, they shook their heads. They were depressed and sad for me. Does anything good come from Bakersfield? And who would go to Bakersfield who could live anywhere else? Me. We were there nine years, and God so blessed our time there. We doubled the size of the campus and the congregation. We started all sorts of new ministries, sent people into full-time ministry. God's touch was there, and we were so honored and blessed. And we drew closer to the Lord because we trusted the Lord to do what we could not, and that's to build his church in a way that would bring him glory. When we're obedient to God, it draws us closer to him. We depend upon him. We know it's not us, it's Jesus in the boat. The third lesson I want us to take away today is when we're obedient to God, he blesses us and others around us. In our story, Peter waves to his buddies on shore, bring your boat, we're going to need it. They fill up both boats to the point where they're about to sink. When they get them to shore, Jesus shocks Peter because he says, Peter, I want you to follow me. We're no longer going to be fishing for fish, but now for people. What a paradigm shift. From fish to men, from scales to skin. From the insignificant to the significant, the temporal to the eternal. It's a completely different call. Peter's obedient. What he knows is God knows more than we know. And where God wants to send us is better than where we are. And when God wants to send us, we have to leave the fish behind. 2005, God called us back to California. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. 2005, he called us to Fort Myers in Florida. Not back, it was my first time here. To be the senior pastor at Covenant Presbyterian Church. Covenant's located just on the south side of the Fort Edison Estate off McGregor. A great honor. A great responsibility. I was only there three years in the same denomination that kicked out Pastor Kurt from First Naples, kicked me out from Covenant. You know the reason? I was a conservative evangelical. Now, I didn't know that was a sin, but I learned it was. <laughs> when you're connected to a liberal denomination. And when my congregation found out I was being kicked out, they said, you can't leave without us. They said, if you will stay and start a church, we'll go with you. You know how that touched my heart? Because these people had baptized their kids in this church. They'd been married in this church. For years, they had given to build this church. And I had told them from the front that spiritual things are more important than bricks in the dirt. I just didn't expect them to believe it. But 1,500 said, we'll go with you. I said, I don't know where we're going. They said, it doesn't matter. And God provided a facility owned by the Brazilian Assembly of God Church, a couple of miles down, south down McGregor. And they became God's gift to us. They had a huge facility, not much money. But they opened their arms graciously, and we moved in and took over. We didn't mean to take over, we just had so many people. 
That was in 2008. In 2016, we moved into a brand new campus on 20 acres at the corner of Plantation and Colonial. Three of the four final phases were completed up front because of the generosity of God's people. Pastor Eddie Spencer is now the senior pastor there, and I show up occasionally and just cheerlead and celebrate from behind. God honors those who honor him. I hope you've learned that in your life. If not, it's not too late. When we're obedient to God, he draws us closer to him. He provides blessings to us. And he may ask us to do something that doesn't make sense. But what God knows is more important than what we know. And where he wants to send us is better than where we are. And when he calls us to go, we have to leave the fish behind. We walked out of an $8 million facility and started over. And God provided and God blessed. And the church is there. You can go visit. Not making it up. I want to close today by telling you about one of my heroes of the faith. His name is Eric Little. L-I-D-D-E-L-L. -L, of Chariots of Fire fame. Nicknamed the Flying Scotsman. Because he was a runner from Scotland who was incredibly fast. And he used to say, I feel the glory of the Lord when I run. 1924, he was scheduled to run the 100 meters in the Olympics taking place in Paris, France. On the ship ride from Scotland to France, he learns his race is scheduled to run on Sunday. He goes to his coach and says, I can't run. I can't run. The coach does a little brainstorming, and he talks to Harold Abrams, who's scheduled to run the 100, and he and Eric switch races. So Harold will run the 100 on Sunday, and Eric will run in Harold's place in the 400 on Monday. On Sunday morning, as Harold's lining up to run the race, Eric is not there cheering his teammates on at the stadium. No, he's downtown Paris, preaching in a church, having been invited by a local pastor. And that morning, Eric preached on the subject, God honors those who honor him. Monday morning, he showed up and they drew for lanes and he drew the outside lane. Now, if you know anything about track, that's the worst place to be. When the gun went off, he took off as if he were running the 100. He hadn't trained to run the 400, and it's not a smart thing to do. Otherwise, you die at 200, and it's embarrassing when you crawl across the line. He went through the 220 mark, which was halfway, in world record time. Proving had he entered the 220, he'd have won that. And when he made the corner and came down the final stretch, he won by a wide margin. He crossed the line in 47-6, a new world record. God does honor those who honor him. But his story doesn't end there. He would later say, winning the gold medal was fun, but it paired in comparison to the platform it gave me to talk about what was really important, God's love. And so instead of getting on the traveling circuit and making money from his fame, he went to China as a missionary. And he rode his bark 
bike, pedaling it from farm to farm. I think the Mormons probably got their approach from him. And one family at a time, he told them about God's love, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, and the new hope available through faith in Jesus. He led hundreds to the Lord. But the Japanese came in and took over and put all the Chinese in concentration camps. So what does Eric do? He goes to the Japanese and asks if he can be a part of the concentration camp too. He didn't have to go. He volunteered to go. The Japanese probably shook their heads and said, suit yourself. So he lived with his church members in the concentration camp. He slept how they slept. He ate what they ate. And he was a pastor to hundreds and hundreds who came to him for hope of a better place beyond this life. It's one of my heroes. He died at age 23 of malnutrition, a volunteer in a concentration camp on assignment from God. Was his life cut short? Was he a failure? I propose all those who are in heaven now because of him would say no. God honors those who honor him. This morning we're going to come to the communion table in just a couple minutes. It's an opportunity for us to pause, to reflect, to remember whose we are and the price that was paid that we might be members in God's family. It's Jesus' gift to us. It was not the nails that held him to the cross of Calvary, it was his love for those who would come after. Jesus is the reason we have hope today. And when we come to the table, we are reminded of the price he paid as he gave his own life sacrificially that we might be adopted into his father's family. We pray with me as we prepare for communion. Father God, I ask that you would be present with us through these elements, that as we partake of the juice and the bread, we might be reminded of your love for us. Be glorified now through these elements we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, on that evening long ago, it was Thursday night, they were in the upper room, owned by Mark, John Mark's family. Jesus knew what was ahead. At one last meal, he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. In the future, do this in remembrance of me. And then after the meal, he took the cup, and he said, this cup represents a new covenant, which will be sealed with my own blood. Do this also in remembrance of me. And as long as you eat this bread and drink this juice, you proclaim my death until I come again. Friends, all has been prepared and is ready. Come now and receive this gift of God's love, which is for you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. 
For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.